Blog Talk Radio.
See, this is where you put your hand on the wheel and you start bopping. gentlemen that was and is 91 North by I call him Dr. Ronnie Song I say doctor because he is the doctor of musicology I will say that uh, just to name a few people that he has worked with Freddie Jackson, Melba Moore Najee, Alex Bouillon Alfonso Blackwell Vanessa Mitchell, Kingdom John White and that's off of the top of my head if I were to read the list that would take the whole uh, program up and like I said, I've known him for quite a long time. Anything and probably every single thing that I know, he has taught me. And I want to welcome you all, Mr. Dr. Ronnie Song. Brother, how are you? I'm blessed. How are you? I'm doing great. I want to thank you, first of all, for being a part of my inaugural <laughs> broadcast. <laughs> and uh, I really, I really felt that it would be a good thing to have a lot of the young people that are going to be listening to this broadcast, whether now or in the archives or in the chat room, as I see, uh, to get some wisdom from you because uh, of your career and the things that you've seen and the things that you've been involved with. So first, I want to just ask you uh, about the, the the beginnings of Ronnie's song. I know I've read and we've talked about even in the past uh, as far as uh, your parents being an influence in your music, could you just, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, well, the house always had music um, going on, and my mother was the actual uh, physical musician. When I mean that, I mean, I meant the, the piano. She played, she grew up playing violin as a kid, and then she, you know, spent most of the rest of her life playing piano. And uh, so there was a piano in the house. My dad, he was uh, a connoisseur of uh, the top-level performers of that time. You know, uh, I grew up listening to everything from every extreme uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, my dad was more of a Johnny Mathis, Nacking Cole, Frank Sinatra, uh Dizzy Gillespie, you know, kind of guy. And uh, then my mom, she would, when she wasn't playing the gospel stuff, you know, she would throw on all of the Motown, early Motown stuff, uh, even stuff pre-Motown. There was a lot of, you know, records from the Chess Records era uh, that would be played. And um, a lot of the, uh, you know, Motown uh, music as well, along with uh, the old, you know, Burt Backrack, Hal David music with Dionne Warwick. So it was just a constant mixture uh, of music. I was just inundated with quality music growing up, and uh, that that really had a influence on me. You know, every part of my childhood, I can always think of a song <laughs> that was playing in the background. Yeah. Right. And, and and when we when we as we continue to listen to some of your music, we 
we well those who are really connoisseurs of music can hear that not only did you uh grasp on or, or catch an ear from musicians, but you also caught on to, you know, vocalizations in terms of artists that you probably listened to. So who were some well, of the people? Well 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 I not well just the vocalization was always uh one of the, the main, you know, issue, you know, in dealing with artists, you know, that we listened to during that time. Uh but I also spent a lot of time just I don't know if it was just I, I, I can't say I don't know. It had to be a God given instinct where every record that I listened to I memorized every string line, every horn line, every mm. guitar lick, every drum roll, every bass lick. It was like I, I just, you know, absorbed the entire complete sum of what the production was in my head as a kid. And uh, then when you start listening to, I remember many times, <laughs> when you're a kid, you got to go to bed early. Right. And they would stick me in the bed, you know, 8 o'clock, i got to go to school the next day. But I wake up at 10 o'clock, and I'm hearing, you know, the Dion Warwick stuff playing and all of the lush arrangements by Burt Backrat uh, at the time. And uh, then as I got older, I became more of a Donny Hathaway, Aretha Franklin uh, fanatic. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I'm going to want to talk to you about that because you did, especially on this album, even though you have a, a lot of, of in your repertoire that you've done that were covers, and one thing that I've noticed through the years, because, you know, I, I talk about it all the time, I was following your music before I met you. And one of the things that I, I remember about listening to your material is that when you did a cover, it was true to the original, but yet you brought a certain flair to it that it didn't make you say, oh, man, not another cover. Or it didn't, like today, you hear a lot of covers of songs and when you say, you know, when we say the artists made it their own, <laughs> they literally made it their own, and that's not necessarily uh, a good thing the way they did it. No, it's not. No, it's not. And, I'm, you know, of course, we can't name names. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, no. But I have been so irritated by just the lack of respect for the songs that people cover. I mean, you know, there have been songs that have been covered out of the Philly International catalog, you know, Gamble Huff and Tom Bell. Yes. Uh, that made me cringe because, you know, I came up with those guys uh, way back, you know, and um, I remember back in the days, uh, H&L Records, which used to be Avco Records when mm -hmm. they had Stylistics, and mm -hmm. Tom Bell had moved on to take on the Spinners, and uh, Luigi Creator, who was uh, the head of uh, Avco, and asked me to take on the stylistics, and I just felt it was such an injustice, even though I remembered every arrangement that Tom Bell ever did in his life. Right, <laughs> right, right. I just didn't want to disrespect him like that. I, right. You know, I, I couldn't, because he was like the man, one of the key players that taught me and, and, and just listening to his material inspired me so much. So when I hear these kids that, doing these remakes and these cover tunes today, 
and they go back and get these songs, you know, mm-hmm. from that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do an old Aretha song, or they do an old Donny Hathaway song, or mm-hmm. Harold Melvin and the Blue Note song, mm-hmm. and I hear how they just totally have no regard for the original, right. and, uh, and and a lot of that has to do with the way it's recorded as well. Right. You know, right. too, too much time is spent on Pro Tools and, right. and, and right. not enough not enough time spent on a two inch machine. That's one right. of the biggest problems. Right. Uh, in fact, from, we're, from an audio standpoint, we're, we're gonna we're gonna get to that two inch machine in a second because a little bird told me something. Uh, the, yeah, a little bluebird told you something. Little bluebird <laughs> told me something that I actually, I actually don't find, you know, strange. And, and we're gonna get to that. But first, I want to play again one of my favorites. Uh, in fact, when you when you let me hear this uh, just before the album came out, I flipped. So we're gonna hear one of these covers that the doctor here, Ronnie Song, did for his album. Uh, breaking the rules, and we're also going to talk about that title because there's a purpose behind that title. So I want you to hear this. It's called Barry's Medley.
You are listening to the people on the Keys 107. That is Barry's Medley by Dr. Ronnie Song. And uh, that's from his Breaking the Rules album. And let me, I just want to just interject this. Uh, man, I can't stop tapping my feet. I'm still hearing it in my head. You know, so, so, some of the brothers and sisters that are out there that are young, they don't, I don't think some of them may not understand, you know, what it is to hear an arrangement like that, especially when you've grown up on the music which has come from. And and you mentioned something that has to do with the way it's recorded. And a little bird told me that, uh, and I, I can say her name, uh, but let me first say I had posted the video, you know, uh, announcing that you would be on the show, and she was saying that she can't wait for the show. She may be in the chat room. She may be one of the callers here. But she uh, she mentioned, I mentioned something about 24-track, uh, two-inch tape, and she told me something that I don't find strange, like I said, and that is that you will not record without a two-inch, 24-track tape. <laughs> Absolutely. Still, up to this day. Up to this Absolutely. Day. Now, can you tell and me why? I can tell them, but can you tell me why? Well, well. You know, depending on the budget you have, you know, you got to have a decent budget uh, to do that. And on this particular record, we had to use uh, a lot of simulators, you know, to create that. But uh, we did we did find um, a really great uh, program for that to simulate, you know, the analog sound. On my next record, I'm syncing up 248-track uh, two-inch tape machines uh, on the next project that we're planning for that now. Now you're um, blowing you're blowing the minds of these young kids right now because they don't they don't understand that two-inch. What's that? Well, let me explain. Let me explain. Let me explain the difference. Uh, the difference between the two-inch tape and the Pro Tools uh, domain. Uh, the two-inch tape, well, digital sounds clean. It sounds, you know, fantastic, and it'll give you a great snapshot of your idea mm-hmm. of what you're trying to put forth and interpret. Two-inch tape, on the other hand, you don't just hear it. You mm-hmm. feel it. Mm-hmm. Big difference. And uh, I sat in the studio, and, and, and the thing about analog tape, analog the analog domain is where the ear, the human ear, I believe it was Rupert Neve mm-hmm. who did a workshop on this, and he's one of the top uh, audio designers in the history of the recording industry. And he did a uh, workshop, I believe, on this subject, how the human ear responds to the analog domain in a natural form. And digital is not the total uh, sum of the way you really should be hearing things. And the best way to use digital is print your tape production to Pro Tools after your record's done because then you have great editing capability, you have great post-production capability to edit, to arrange your vocals the way you want without, you know, scrubbing your tape back and forth constantly. 
And so they worked they, they work together. The digital domain and the analog domain work together. But you gotta know how to use them properly and everybody just gets a, a pro tools and they just think they have a studio. And it, it really it, it cracks me up and when I listen to you know, music on the radio, you can hear the difference. And I was sitting with my youngest son and I said, That was done on a tape machine. That was not done on a tape machine. And once I pointed it out to him, he actually could hear the difference. Mm. I remember sitting in the studio uh, in Arizona about, oh, God, I was working on uh, the Marion Meadows uh, Body Rhythm album uh, for RCA Records, and we were in a studio that had uh, the two-inch tape machine and a Mitsubishi tape machine, digital tape machine, and we were running that along with some of the digital stuff. And there were two gentlemen who were working on uh, the Cisco record. You guys remember Cisco? Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> and and uh, they were coming in. They wanted to hear the room because they were thinking about mixing in the room. So they put in, I allowed them to come in, look at the room. I was taking a break. And they put the tape in uh, of what they... Uh, the, uh, it was a CD. I think it was a it was a disc back then. It was a that tape or it was a, um, a mini disc, digital disc. And they went up to the console and they began to crank the volume. And it was loud. It was booming. It was you know everything that R and B music I guess is supposed to be at that time. But they had to crank the volume. So what I did is I said, you young men, mind if I show you something? And what I did is I pulled out the I Am album by Earth, Wind & Fire that was done 20 years prior to, 20 years prior to that time, engineered by George Massenburg. And I uh, said, I want to show you guys something. I went back over to the console and I put the volume back midway at 12 o'clock. And... I said, this is zero, where the volume should be, okay, at all times. I said, now play your CD again. And they played their their music, and the volume was much lower, and the boom and the kick was not present Mm -hmm. because they didn't record it properly. And they recorded it in the digital domain without the proper, you know, push to it. They did not go to tape. And then I said, right, we're going to leave this volume button right here. We're not going to touch it. I'm going to put this disc in. And I put in uh, In the Stone by Earth, Wind & Fire. And the speakers almost jumped out of the wall. <laughs> and they couldn't believe it. They said, how long ago was this done? I said, about 20 years before this time that we're in now. They couldn't believe it. I said, this is how you make records. Right, right. Well, see, and, and, and go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and that's that's what's wrong with 80% of the records that are out here uh, today. I heard one artist, which I won't mention their name, <laughs> get, he was on a talk show and he was interviewed and he was getting really upset, you know, um, about... You know, people talking about him spending all this money on his record. You know, I spent six hundred thousand dollars on my record. Well, if it sound the way it sounded, I wouldn't have told anybody that. Right, right, right. I, I would not that, have exposed 
that I spent over half a million dollars on a record that sounded like you did it in your basement. And it's because people just don't know. They they, they don't want to go back and get the engineers. They don't want to get the real producers. Mm-hmm. You know, they just get a drum machine. They get samplers. They get samples from records. And they, they create these real slick ideas, but they don't approach production standpoint that production is to be respected in the way it was it's a science it's just it's a science it's like laws of physics laws that rule in the audio world that will give you the best sound you can get and if you don't follow those play by those laws and follow those rules you're going to get a mediocre sounding record and I think a lot of that is missing today in, in the many studios that are, you know, either and producers and artists that are spending the type of money that, that you mentioned. And, and those who are listening, I'm going to tell you, he, he, what he's saying is true because when, and I'm, we're going to talk about this more uh, after uh, this song and a break. We're going to talk about that science and talk about the day I walked into the studio and learned a lot of this stuff. And I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you all what my reaction was when this happened. So we'll be back with Ronnie's song right after this. This song is called Timeless. And he mentioned an artist by the name of Mario Meadows. And this is Ronnie's song, Timeless, with Marion Meadows.
Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback. Sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing at the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, say the closer I get to you with, you're going to have to help me on the first name when because <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying it right, Arija Riles and Kevin Lee, that's on the Breaking the Rules album by Ronnie Song, and I have to make sure he's up, yes he's up, uh, Doctor, there's a question yes. in the chat room, and the okay. question is, 
why do we not see artists taking their bands in the studio and recording their bands along with their vocals? Well, a lot of that has to do with uh, the lack of, like I said, the lack of ability to understand what production really is. And it's a challenging thing. It's hard work. When you have to take a bunch of musicians in the studio, you have to first have a you know, world-class engineer, someone who knows how to record properly, how to uh, do proper microphone application to the drums, uh, how to record the guitars, if you're going to plug in direct, and uh, mic and amplifier, you know, to record the bass player, to record the percussion, if you got a horn section, you got to know what mics to use. and uh, It's a lot involved even before you start recording. You know, um, you have to really do a lot of pre-production and real serious decision-making. So a lot of people don't want to put that kind of thing, you know, and, 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 and you find that more in, I hate in the R&B world, everybody is kind of forsaken a lot of van in a way. Uh, there's a lot of people who in R&B who will still use live musicians. You know, I know Anthony Hamilton, the uh, Where mm-hmm. I'm From album. That was a great album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rasan Patterson, India uh, uh, R.E., a lot of them will still use, you know, real people, real musicians and things like that. Mm-hmm. But in the pop rock side of things, you know, they're still doing it the right way. You know, they're taking their bands and they're getting great engineers. They're getting uh, good studios. But then, you know, we run into the, the budgetary issue. You know, mm. A lot of bands also don't take their uh, guys don't take the whole bands in the studio because the budget right. costs a lot more money uh, right. to do it that way. And that's amazing you know, because I, there's a I lot remember. of factors, and it depends right. on the record label you're with. And a lot of times, right. the record company doesn't. These days, the record company does not want to pay for anything until you've sold, you know, a couple million records on your first record. Then they'll come back and give you what you want. But initially, you have to go in with your stuff already done. And a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to have that kind of, you know. And and um, and. And like I said, some of these things have really changed over the years because when I walked into, I was fresh out of uh, the center of media arts. I learned all the technical aspects, even though I was already engineering and MIDI was pretty new at the time. And when I walked into uh, Present Studio in Uh uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and Uh uh, met you for the first time, uh, one of the things that I remember is you put me right to work on micing stuff and putting the MIDI together and everything like that, and, and we started having problems with something that, like, I think most producers and or ev- engineers, you know, hate to have a problem with, and that was time code. And you started, yes. you know, you mentioned earlier about uh, the science of it, and I never knew until that time in the studio that I had to know how to count. <laughs> Right, <laughs> because we went into and, and let me for one brief second I wasn't going to play this but this is one of the songs or products that came out 
of that first meeting. I'm only going to play a couple seconds of it, and I want to see if you remember who it was. All right, that's it. (laughs) Wow. Oh my that, God! That is, that, and that, I have that's a blast. That is, okay. I have, I have a, uh, I have a few of them from you know that session. Let me tell you, people, if you don't love music and engineering or whatever it is that you're in, you will never understand how I feel about music or how uh, Doctor Here feels about music because I met him on whatever day it was uh, back in nineteen. If it wasn't eighty nine, it was ninety. I met, I, I walked in the studio because a mutual friend of ours and someone who's worked with him closely, Leroy Hampton, said that they needed a drummer and someone to join their team. Yeah, and yeah. I flew out from Bermuda. I was in Bermuda at the time. I flew out from Bermuda, went into the studio just to meet him. And I think I stayed for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> we were just working on a you got You got bit by the bug. Uh, I, I really got bit by the bug. I stayed there for about two weeks. But the point is that I learned all the stuff that I learned in school, all the stuff that I was just doing based on my right. ear. When I learned, actually applied it, I started to see how important those things are. And like I said, that's one of the things that these, uh, the younger ones today, they don't really recognize. And this comes from your experience. I mean, yeah. you can go from boots and, and, and and the thing about that is, I was just thinking while you were talking, because we put so much work into that stuff, and a lot of the stuff that the kids are listening to today were just things that were done back then, you know? Mm-hmm. They never heard it, but a lot of the samples that are going on, a lot of the the drum beats, a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the hip-hop community, you know, have used some of our tracks from the P-Funk days, you know, right, the stuff right. that when I, when I worked with George Clinton and Booty. I heard a lot of those tracks on a lot of hip hop records. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it, it's it's not and it's not wrong with that. I'm saying, mm-hmm. and some of these hip hop records are done very well. Some of these guys they get it, you know. Mm-hmm. Even you know when they do this stuff, they're spending time mm-hmm. doing the stuff right. I don't care what you do. I don't care if it's hip hop. I don't care if it's bubble gum. I don't care if it's club. There's a right way to make a record. And a jacked up way to make a record, right? And 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 I'm I just want to tell to to all your listeners, I'm not so much a purist mm-hmm. that I'm like against Pro Tools. I, don't, I want to correct that. Right. I'm not against it. It's it's uh, if and if you can't afford a two inch machine, a lot of studios and engineers are using a lot of outboard gear that mm-hmm. are, that are, that solid analog based outboard gear like the Avalon. Uh, a lot of Rupert Neves uh, yeah. pre preamps, a lot of the uh, old Lexicon reverbs, a lot of those uh, compressors, you know, that we use. That really makes a difference when you when you record the Pro Tools using a lot of the out, uh, analog outboard gear. You get that presence. Well, you much you, closer mm-hmm. to using two inch tape. So, you know, I, I you know. Just want to clear that up and let people know that I do understand that. I just uh, want people to understand there's a right way and there's a there's a wrong way. And to all you young people who are listening, you got 
you know, Macintosh in your basement or in your room with the Pro Tools uh, LE and a mm-hmm. inbox too, mm-hmm. you're cheating yourself as far as telling people you did a final record. It's a great source to put your ideas down, <laughs> but, you know, you won't know the difference unless you play something that was done the right way. And I encourage all of you to go and get these recordings that were recorded properly. And maybe we can, at some point, uh, we can put a list up or something of, of, mm-hmm. of projects that mm-hmm. a lot of the young people can go by and listen to. Well, one have thing, something to compare to. One thing that I that I from that time that I've done, and I was just telling a young brother the other day, uh, is just what you said. I will put in. Uh, a CD of somebody, you know, of a of a uh, a good uh, engineer, a project that they did, and before I start mixing and during I start mixing, I'll go back and forth at times, and and right. that's you know when he started doing that, he he started to see the difference between the stuff that he mixed before and the stuff that he was doing then. Now you mentioned uh, uh, briefly a little bit about George Clinton and Bootsy, and you had a an interesting meeting back in the day. But I want to talk about, before we mention that, uh, I want to talk about the album itself and the title of the album and yeah. Breaking the Rules. What is that all about? Well, uh, Breaking the Rules is basically doing something that is not the norm in the record business, you know. They you know, they either want you to do a straight club record or they want you to do a if you're a hip hop artist you gotta do a hip hop record. If you're a, a jazz artist they want you to do a jazz record. If you know, if you're a funk artist they want you to just do a funk record and my thing is, um we on this particular project, you know, we were limited with resources to uh expand the way we're doing now on the second record is just gonna be another another journey. But I wanted to take what we had to create a good listening experience. Uh where anyone from any genre or background can listen to the record and hear something on that record that they like. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's smooth jazz, which we have Marion playing, we have young uh, Julian Davis on harmonica on, on Timeless, mm-hmm. which gave you that, you know, kind of Quincy-esque um, kind of thing, reminiscent of the Dude album. We mm-hmm. went from that to the big thing with Barry with the orchestra, and then we did Should I Let Go uh, with Chantel, uh, and then there's more of an R&B pop kind of thing, then my nephew, Corey, uh, we featured him on um, uh, Worth the Fall, which was right. more current R&B mm-hmm. male ballad. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Right. Then we did the inspirational kind of country thing, pop thing with Naomi singing Decisions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that, that kind of song, even Michael Jackson could have sung that song. Right. You know, right. Then we went to the funk. You know, I mm-hmm. took him back to, you know, the funk delicious. I took him back to the days when I worked with George Clinton and Bootsy Collins. Right. And also the group Xavier, you know, mm-hmm. because that's when I first met Bootsy and George when I was working on the Xavier album. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we just kind of mixed it up and did it the way we wanted to do it. And that is breaking the rules because in this industry, you know, they want to put you in one little, you know, Right. They always want to label you, you know what I mean? 
Right, and the thing is, I thing refuse is, to be labeled. I'm not gonna be labeled. And the next <laughs> record is gonna really upset some people because I'm gonna be all over the place on the next record. And what's interesting is when I went, you know, through the internet to find, you know, certain certain uh, things that reviews and everything about the album. I saw certain sites which described the album as pop. I saw certain sites which described it as R&B. I saw others that des- described it as pop, R&B, and funk. And 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 let me let me just share with the audience this song as and why some people considered it to be funk and why some people considered it to be breaking the rules. you old heads out there. See, y'all don't, some of you young guys don't understand that funk, see? Trace. That fool 
You are listening to the Keys 107 and listening to the people. I'm Moria Hoshua, and my guest is the doctor of musicology, Mr. Ronnie Song, and we're listening to cuts off of his album, Breaking the Rules, and that was Funkalicious Baby, and that's that P-Funk, Bootsy Collins, whatever you want to call it. That's the kind of song that you put on at a party and you make up an electric slide kind of dance. <laughs> you know, so uh, we got a question in the room. And okay. the question is, what do you think it takes... Wait, wait, where'd it go? Uh, I, yeah. What do you think it takes to be a great producer? Well, the first thing is you have to really be a fan. I'm, I'm talking a a like an addict for music. You have to love it. You have to cherish it. And it has to be like a part of your entire being. And from that, you have to be able to understand every aspect of music. Because you said a great producer. Uh, a great mm-hmm. producer versus a producer. A great producer can produce uh, Wu-Tang Clang one day and Barbara Streisand the next day. Wow. A great producer can produce uh, Kanye West one day and score Lord of the Rings film the next day. You understand know what I'm saying? Or if he can't score it, he knows how to put the elements together. He knows how to put the musicians together. Mm-hmm. You have to have an ear for... Uh, it's like directing a movie. Mm-hmm. A great producer knows what guitar player should play on the song, what guitar player should not play on the song, and why. What is the best bass player for this song? Who is the, what's the best horn section for this song? He has to be able to have an ear for the music, understand music, and has to be able to play something, whether he's a drummer, guitar, and I'm not saying you have to be a virtuoso on on an instrument, but you have to play some kind of musical instrument. You gotta you gotta understand music in itself, and it's it's a great greatly a part uh, or to do with your ear and how you hear, which is very important. But you have to understand music, mm-hmm. and you have to be able to move from one place to the other genre-wise. Now, that's what a great producer is. is a constant student of the world and universe of music. Constantly learning, constantly absorbing, constantly mastering its craft. Okay? Now, a great producer can produce a record and you won't really know all the time that he was the one that produced the record. Mm. How many times have you heard a record on the radio and said, oh, I know who produced that, and you named the producer? Because right. everything he does from one album to this artist to the next artist to the next artist sounds exactly the same. Mm. It sounds like there was one, there's one, one set of producers that produced this one artist. The artist blew up. They produced another artist. 
they produced three other artists, and all those artists sounded like they got the leftover songs from the first artist. <laughs> I have one in my head right now. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> so I I always said I that's why I love Quincy Jones. I love uh, Maurice White. I love what what I mean. These are great producers. I loved uh, Norman Whitfield. Mm-hmm. I love Rest in Peace. I love uh, Frank Wilson. May he rest in peace. These are guys and and arrangers like Gene Page, who who, who was really responsible for the whole Barry White sound as far mm-hmm. as string arrangement. If you want to be a great producer, study the great producers. You yeah. got to study these guys, and you got to be a student of that. Because anybody can, you know. I got to say this. This is something I've been dying to say, and I hope I hope young folks are listening. I, I can't. If I had a dollar for every time I walked up to a young quote unquote producer, and I said, "Oh, you're a producer." And they said, yeah, I make beats. Mm. I make beats. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm a producer because I make beats. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's hilarious to me. And then they want producer credit on the project. <laughs> and then, yeah, because you make beats, you're a producer. No, you're not. Because you make beats is a part of the production structure. Right. You see, it's a part of the production block building, and, and it's not the total sum of what taking charge of an entire project really is. Right, right. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And so uh, I wish we had more time. One day maybe we can, I can give some seminars on this stuff because I'm telling you, it's it's a very, from, from start to finish, it's a mm-hmm. very serious responsibility. And especially when you're called in to work with a real artist, a real vocalist, uh, and someone who really sings, uh, it's bad enough when you get a lot of these artists who can't sing, and there's a lot of them on the radio, too. But uh, (laughs) when you deal with a real talent, Mm. you have to have a vision for that talent, Mm. and you have to know how to breathe life into this project. And you can't do that if you don't understand every layer of what production is. Because wow. you got to be able to shift midstream. you got to be able to say, okay, we're going to do this kind of hip-hop vibe. Okay, we're going to do this club thing. All right, on this next song, we may need to just do piano with an orchestra. we got to, you know, go in a different direction. you got to be able to move around and take control of each situation. You're the head of the game. You're the you're the director of the movie when you're a producer of a record. And, uh, you know, listening to a lot of the music that's out here, um, uh, we need more producers, real producers, not somebody just calling themselves a producer. It's just like a prophet. Right. How, many, how many times have you heard somebody get up in, a, in the middle of a church service and they, they start prophesying all of a sudden they think they're a prophet. No, you are not a prophet just because you gave a prophecy. And, and you see, let, let, me, let, me, let me cut it right there. That is a totally 
different conversation. We have had tons of those conversations. Yeah. Uh, uh, the doctor and I. We have had those conversations sitting in the studio. We have had those yeah. conversations. And that is a that is a probably three hours show. Yes, it just, is. <laughs> just yes, to it talk is. about that. But you are absolutely right in terms of uh, uh, the being able to jump from genre to genre to genre and be yeah. just as efficient in all those genres. Now, there's another question in the room that I'm going to ask at the end, which is going to be uh, right after this particular song, because in jumping from genre to genre, we saw you, we, we heard you do the Barry Medley, we heard you do the Close I Get to You, we heard you do the Timeless, we heard you do the Funkalicious, and now this is jumping actually with to another artist, which you've produced in the past, and I, I, I actually wanted to play this song because tomorrow is the last day of quote-unquote Black History Month, and it is a song that uh, you did for the incomparable Melba Moore, which is called Love Is. And it's a very good, uh, you know, I, I really, when I found this version, because I didn't know there was another version, but I found this version, I think it's, it's a very good and timely done, uh, produced by uh, the Dr. Ronnie song for Melba Moore, Love Is. Well, I don't think of uh, love as uh in this context as emotional bondage. I don't think of it as uh, a weak But I, I think of love as something strong and uh, organized itself in power of direct action. to this point in time for you? 
or what has been the most uh, rewarding? Oh, wow. Well, in case some of them are listening, I don't want to offend nobody. <laughs> it's like it's like winning the Grammy. It's like when they call your name, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, God, you know, everybody's expecting to be recognized and things. So I don't know. It's it's Well, I'll say this. I'll put it this way. The most, I would say the most rewarding experience that I've had, not so much just producing, but... This, these are the parts. These are the rewards of being in this industry and producing people. Is when I sat down with James Brown, and he basically schooled me about this industry for two hours. Mm. It was the most amazing, uh, and 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 a lot of people don't understand. But this man sounded like a college professor when he when he talked to me uh, uh, during that time. And when I had the chance to meet uh, McFadden and Whitehead, mm. and you know, to meet the, those the, the people, I have to say that because I mean, I've worked with a lot of artists, and there are some artists that were uh, much uh, more of a pleasure to work with than others. Right. But um, I guess when I, when I when when my book comes out, then you know, all you guys can get the the skinny on. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the bad and the ugly on on the artist, but uh, meeting the people that I grew up thinking about listening to, wishing I could meet. When I first met Melba, when I first met Gene McFadden, when I first, uh, you know, walked in the studio and George Clinton was in there waiting for me to come in. When I first met Bootsy, you know what I mean. And one of the big highlights, let me say this real quick, mm-hmm. is when I had a chance to work with David Ruffin and Eddie Kendrick. Man, you have no idea. And a lot of the young people would really appreciate that. But oh my goodness, you know that that was amazing to me. You know, because I, I, you know, a kid from Hartford, Connecticut, you know, I never thought I'd be sitting in there telling Eddie Kendrick what to say. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Like, like, are you kidding me? You know what right. I'm saying? Well, we have. Uh, and we have, oh, and, and oh, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I was with Quincy. Um, okay. Uh, when we did the uh, the Dude tour with Quincy, that was just, oh my God. That, mm-hmm. that was just unbelievable. Yeah, I can go on and on. Just buy the book right. that comes out. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I have, there's a call. I, I want to see if this caller has a question. 347-287. Do you have a question for Mr. Ronnie Song? Hey, how you doing, Maurice? Uh, hey. Shasta, shalom to you. Uh, hello? Hello? Yes. Okay, I'm just calling in and saying, you know, the blessed show that you're giving out very, you know, wide for everybody out here listening to you. I'm very happy for your show to hear it. Um, I'm just calling for the blessings to you, brother. Oh, thank you, man. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Uh, You don't know what a joy this show is for me. You really don't know. Just like people don't understand, you know, how how it is when, when Ronnie talks about being schooled by James Brown, my best time is being schooled by him. <laughs> See, and so it always goes 
one person to the other person to the other person, and that that's that's what is that's what it's really all about. That's why I yeah. knew that I had to have you on the program to be able to talk to the people and talk to the young generation that yeah. is coming up and give them at least some direction that have them to then start looking at albums again and start looking at who's producing and who's right. doing this. And right. that is a, that is an art that I mean I used to kill people with hey who's on the album who's who's playing that you know who's that oh I never heard of him oh that's so and so who did this and I think that some of the information that you've given you know will help somebody and I'm sure I'm going to get the emails I already see emails popping up and 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 my... can I just interject real quick before you leave the air I just want to I just want to say to all you young folks out there if you got record deals or you got projects. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and get in touch with older producers, more seasoned producers to work on your stuff. We have this thing that you've been hoodwinked and bamboozled into thinking, oh, well, if we get one of the old school kind of producer guys, their music's going to be dated. I got two words. I got two words for you. I got two words for all of you listening. Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson. When Quincy started producing Michael, he was old enough to be Michael's father. But Michael Jackson was smart. He said, I want to get somebody to produce me that knows what they're doing and not just give me hit records, but create history. Right. And and look what happened. If Michael had a went for the flavor of the month in the production circles in the industry at that time, Michael would not have been successful. Michael went and got a veteran who knew what he was doing, and the rest is history. There has not been no one to outsell him yet in that market. Right, and and that that's very true. And and like I said, those, the art of doing that is yeah. is so gone and not even yeah. a part of the mindset of those that are out there Absolutely. trying to um, you know be that great Absolutely. producer. Um, Absolutely. I, there's a comment in the chat room. It says, it's a blessing to hear from the brother who you have spoken so highly of for as long as I've known you for. Hey, there are people who literally did not think I knew you. Really? They did not think I knew you. Surprise! I said, are you serious? (laughs) But I I want to talk uh, uh, real quick about uh, uh, your company, uh, your, you know, the things that uh, are involved that you can divulge right now, and as well as the Breaking the Rules album is pretty much everywhere. You can get it on iTunes, you can get it on uh, CD Baby, I believe. Uh, you can get it everywhere. Just Google it, trust me. You can get it anywhere. And I want you guys to get this album because I believe that it is something that you guys uh, really need to listen to to have a, a starting point in the stuff that you do, as well as looking at the stuff that my friend here has done over the the, the last 20, uh, 30, 40 years uh, because it is a testament to what it is to be not only a great producer, but to be a great songwriter, to be a great mm. uh, uh, engineer, mm. and everything mm. that encompasses a good, long-lasting project. And so mm. uh, I, I, I want to talk about, real quick, uh, Kingdom. Yeah. and the things that you are going to get involved with with your company. Okay. Well, Kingdom, we are uh, considering right now the restructuring of a whole new concept for Kingdom. 
um, with uh, young people um, that are from different backgrounds, you know. And uh, Brother Leroy Hampton and I talked about that and how to get people from uh, different ethnic backgrounds to be a part of this, you know, project to turn it more into a global situation, you know what I mean? And have the music uh, very cutting edge, and we're, you know, in the process of writing out the uh, uh, the scope of that right now. And uh, and that should be coming to the world in, in the very near future. As far as our company, YBK, we have uh, very serious infrastructure that we're building to put out product that's going to hold its own and create careers that will last 10 to 15 years into the future. And uh, we're also involved with film, and uh, we're going to be doing a lot of film and television as well. And that's, that's, that's the generality of it. You know, a lot of stuff I can't divulge, but that's the generality of it. And, and that is something that we all are going to look forward to, and I hope every time something breaks that you will let me know, have you back on the show, because this was a great clinic that I think the listeners have been able to have, a lot of wisdom that was uh, you know, given to them so that they can go back to the drawing board. And I think I even posted that. I posted that on Facebook. I said, if you think you know what it is to be a producer, listen to this show because then you will definitely go back to the drawing board and and restructure how you do things because it takes time, it takes energy, it takes yeah. really having a love for it and not just trying to do things uh, That's right. quickly. So my brother, you have to be able I want to right. And I I want you to just say in the next five minutes or two minutes or minute and a half, whatever, you know, you can just say something to the people out there as far as, you know, their careers and 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 just some advice on what they need to do from this day forward to make their careers to 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 grow in the music business. Well the key thing in the music industry, the first thing is never hold a grudge. And just like Ben Affleck said the other night when he was accepting uh his producer award for uh, Argo never hold grudges because it, it's just not worth it uh, never burn bridges and because this industry is a relationship driven industry it's it makes a lot of money but it's relationship driven it's not money driven it's relationship driven if you Pick off the wrong person, you make the wrong person mad, your career can be over. Never, if you have not sold records for a record company, all you artists and producers out there, you, 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 you don't get full of yourself. Yeah, you may be good, and you may think you're great, which is what you should think. But never go into a situation acting like a diva or with your chest stuck out like you're the best next thing because to one artist there's 500 of them trying to get in the door it's all about relationships it's about being reasonable and understanding that it is a business and you have to prove yourself and you have to show yourself uh, easy to work with 
and and a reasonable person, and you have to work hard and know your craft. Know your craft. Study it. Know it. If you're an artist, learn everything that it takes to make an album, what goes into it. If you're a producer, know everything. Know how to communicate with your engineer intelligently. Know how to communicate with your arrangers, with your musicians intelligently. And um, you'll make it. It's all about knowledge and hard work and keeping the right attitude. And above all, keep God first. Because if you have him, you'll have the wisdom and the insight not to make the stupid mistakes so many people make. There you have it. I can't end it any better than that. I want to thank my brother, Ronnie Song, for being on this show. And remember, Breaking the Rules is available everywhere. You need to get this album. I don't just say that about albums. I'm not just saying that. You need to get this album because it's a teaching tool. And, uh, you know, he's coming out with another teaching tool that you really need to get and be aware of, of what's going on and what's going to keep you long in this in this business called music. Thank you again, my brother. Of course, you know, I will be thank in touch in a minute. Uh, the, thank you very much. And that's it for the show today. Uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank Brother James T. Muhammad. I want to thank Sister Rafika Muhammad. I want to thank my brother from another mother, J.R. Strong, for uh, coming to me and, and, and talking to me about doing this show. I feel re rejuvenated after five years of doing this show, and we're going to bring you some very good uh, programming, uh, talking to different people about different aspects of life and uh, giving you those keys that you need you know, uh, in life to, to be a success. And I want to thank the audience, those in the chat rooms, for all of your questions. That that was, you know, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate, again, the doctor for giving us the information that he's given us. Now, if you have a smartphone and you want to be able to get the programs that are on the Keys 107 uh, network, you need to download the Block Talk application. You, you get it on your, on your smartphone, so wherever you are, you will definitely be able to hear the programs on the Keys 107. Visit us at the Keys 107 network.com and you can get all the shows. You can listen to all the shows or see uh, all the shows that we have on here. You know, give us some suggestions if you have, you know, suggestions at the Keys 107 network.com. That's suggestions at the Keys 107 network.com. You can always um, subscribe to us here. And we will definitely uh, give you the information or have the information needed for you to know what's happening here at The Keys. You can also contact us or follow us at Twitter.com, The Keys 107, Twitter.com, The Keys 107. And once again, you can visit us at, visit us at The Keys 107 Network.com. There is something there for everyone to listen to. So that's the show today. We're going to leave you with maybe one or two songs from the album Breaking the Rules by Ronnie Song. And this song is Decisions with Naomi Emanuel, Breaking the Rules is the album.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.